Ah, oh, so good. You can't believe how excited I was when I saw that video for the first time. Amber's on our staff team, and she's sitting back here, and her parents have made a special appearance this morning. So God bless you guys. You couldn't miss that, I know. Yeah. That's right, because raising Amber couldn't have been easy. So that's, that applause was for you. We love Amber. And... Um, so I love, I love, love what was going on there, just that whole conflict, and it really speaks to the kind of thing that goes on in just about every, no, not just about, every single family, because conflict is just part of it, and uh, if you haven't had, um, and forgive me for this, Amber, but if you haven't had an Amber-like experience today already, with your hands on your hips, calling out somebody in your life that you're not happy with, if you haven't had an Amber-like experience yet today, I'm going to try and say it as often as I can, um, if, if that hasn't happened to you yet today, it's going to happen before the day is out. Because conflict, causing offense, being offended, hurts of all kinds, that is sadly a normal part of family life. A normal part of family life in a sin-tainted world. It's not the way God intended it, but it's the way we've ended up because we chose uh, to be uh, sinful. We chose to invite sin into our lives. And because of that, then we have conflict. The, the big challenge that we have as the followers of Christ, though, is, is not in trying to eradicate conflict from our lives. Because that would be foolishness. It's, it's there for all of us. It's there for the unbelieving home as well as the believing home. The difference really for us is that we deal with conflict in a good, godly, and biblical way. And that's really what we're going after today. What does God have to say about this, about how we handle conflict and offense when it comes our way or when we've offended other people? How can we hand that in a good, handle that in a good and godly way? And so we are uh, in this series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we're looking at uh, these things with regard to the family and how it impacts our homes. And in the book of Proverbs, we have a single verse that we're going to look at today. Proverbs 17, uh, verse 9. And in this verse, a kind of a profound, power-packed little verse, uh, we're going to find what we need uh, to help us have the wisdom to have forgiveness, because that's what we're talking about. What God provides for us is a model for forgiveness. That's how we're going to deal with conflict in our homes. That's how we're going to deal with these offenses that happened. God gives us forgiveness. And we're going to establish that as a priority uh, in our family relationships. It's the third priority in our series that we're looking at. And we're going to say it this way. It's a family thing to freely forgive one another. That's what it is. It's a family thing to freely forgive one another. Let me read the verse and then I'll pray and we'll get rocking through this, all right? This is Proverbs 17, 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. That's the whole thing. We're gonna get a lot out of it this morning though, so why don't we pray uh, to get started and then we'll begin working through it. Father, Again, it is uh, a joy and a privilege for us to be in this place today. And uh, Father, I have no doubt that once again, um, we need this word for you. There are no doubt people in this room who desperately need this particular wor word, who are struggling with matters of forgiveness. But God, for all of us, a, a reminder, a, a further step on the journey, just something that needs to be reinforced for us. And so God, I pray that there would be no resistance in this room whatsoever but that every one of us would be so open to hearing what you have for us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
All right, it's a family thing to freely forgive one another. Uh, Let's start with this, who it's for. And uh, the answer is, it's for you. It's for me. It's for all of us. Just so we're uh, clear on who this message really relates to, uh, the verse starts with this word, uh, whoever. Whoever. If you're the offended, if you're the offendee, If you're male, you're female, if you're a husband, a wife, a child, a parent, it's for you. It's for whoever. And uh, we uh, need to understand at the outset that we're not dismissing this as being a message for anyone else. Just point to the person that this message applies to today. Point to that person. Just point to yourself. This is for you. Don't be pointing to your spouse. Uh, Don't point at your parents. This this message is uh, for you, and you need to remember that. No one in the room, uh, no one watching on video, no one listening to the audio of this message uh, has any uh, reason to believe that this isn't for them. Every one of us in the room has at some point been offended by someone. Everyone in the room has also at some point offended someone else. You have both been the recipient of hurt and you have hurt other people. You have wounded and been wounded. We get that. And so really this is for whoever. It's for every single one of us. Not a person here who hasn't needed to receive forgiveness. Not a person here who hasn't needed to forgive. And so there are no exemptions here today. It's for me. It's uh, for you. That's it. That's the first point. That's all I have. Six more points to go. You wondered how I was going to get through seven, right? This is it. The first one's over. Ready for number two? All right. Who's this message for? Yeah, it's for you. Right, exactly. And for me. Who's it for you? Number two, what it costs. I put the word surrender here. Surrender is pretty um, all-encompassing. Surrender is the like, I'm dropping all my weapons on the floor, and we all carry weapons, by the way. We, 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 we lay all of those, I have no more defense, my hands are in the air, I'm surrendering and giving myself up to this. It's no longer going to be about me and, and my strength or my power over anything. I'm literally cashing out and I'm cashing out uh, to someone else, to someone else's thing. I'm done for, with my own thing. And the one I'm being asked to cash out toward, the one I'm being asked to surrender to, is actually God himself. It's it's not like I'm actually cashing out towards the person who might have offended me, to whom I must give forgiveness, but I'm really cashing out so we have the right perspective. I'm cashing out to God, I'm surrendering to him, I'm giving my whole thing up for him. And I want you to understand so there's no confusion That when we're being asked to forgive, that's what this message is about. When we're being asked to forgive the real beneficiary of this, the one to whom uh, the the greatest benefit is directed is actually the Lord. I mean, I I get that when I forgive someone else that they get a benefit. They get a benefit that I'm not going to bring this up with them anymore. That's certainly a benefit and they would uh, be blessed by that. And I get that if I forgive that I no longer have bitterness in my life and the anger and malice that can so often eat up people and I don't have that and there's certainly a benefit. There's a good thing with that. But ultimately I forgive not for the benefit of the other person, not for my personal benefit, but I forgive for for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I forgive for his glory. I'm surrendering my thing to him. It's all for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
when we forgive, when we live this way, we magnify Christ in forgiving. And we actually are debasing ourselves. We're literally saying, my thing's not so important that I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to surrender it. My thing's not that important. Uh, God's thing's important and I'm going to exalt him. I'm going to make myself low and I'm going to get Jesus Christ high in my life. Everything is entirely and completely for his glory. Now notice this. uh, What it costs is surrender. We Getting this from the second word, whoever covers. We're talking about covering an offense. Now I understand that when we use this word, it isn't always in our, in our culture, it isn't always a positive thing. Because we generally put another word on the back end of that and we talk about a cover up. And a cover up's not a good thing. I mean, it's so negative. Every government that's ever been Uh, has always been accused at some point in its term of a cover-up. And we think that there's something that's gone on that we should know about and we don't have the truth about that and some people are trying to conceal it and hide it and keep it from the public view and so we have crown commissions and investigators and they go into the whole thing and they want to know the whole thing. They want to dig it all up and bring it all out again. We don't like cover-ups. But in essence, this word, a little different than that, it's really talking about covering an offense, not in the sense of covering it up, but in the sense that it's done and gone. It's finished. It's completed. I've put it away from me. I'm, I'm actually, in some senses, I'm concealing it from myself. I'm covering it up from myself. I'm saying I'm never going to deal with that again. I've dealt with it. It's over with. We have to get to that place. Really, that's at the core of what it means to forgive. It's done and it's gone and I'm not bringing it up again. I've I've put it behind me. It stands in contrast to what we'll see later in the verse. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who, and this is the contrasting word, repeats. Uh, To cover it up means I'm never bringing it up again. To repeat it means I'm continually bringing it up. These are two kinds of people, one who's forgiven and one who hasn't. One who's put the matter behind them and one who's keeping it right out in front. One who's exalted Christ and one who's still exalting self. And that's the contrast that's being built here in the proverb. Is it done or gone? Is the offense that's been perpetuated against you, is that done and gone? Is it covered up? Is it concealed for good and put away? I love the picture that God gives us about how he deals with our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin from us. God's intention is not to bring that up again. I love that God has done that for us. I have to say, to to say that we're going to deal with an offense in this matter, I I want you to understand that I'm not making light of anything you've ever gone through or the depth of hurt that's been felt in your life. I don't for a minute want anyone to believe that this is an easy thing because it's not. To grant forgiveness is probably the most difficult thing you're ever going to be asked to do in life. And the reality is it's not going to happen once to you or twice, but it's going to happen multiple times over an entire lifetime that you're going to be asked to forgive people for hurting you. I can't imagine, especially when the hurts go very deep, that that's ever going to be easy for you. It's not going to be easy for me. And really the 
The understanding of how much it costs comes right down to this. That always someone has to pay for the offense. It's not like the debt of that offense gets just kind of forgotten or set aside. It is that someone still has to pay for the price of that offense. Now, if you don't forgive and you retain the hurt, then it's the person who offended you that pays the price because you keep reminding them, you keep bringing it up, you keep wanting to make sure they remember how much they hurt you. So you increase their guilt, you increase their shame, you keep pounding, remember that time when you, and, and I can't believe you hurt me so bad, and, and why do you keep doing that? And, and you keep bringing it up. You keep bringing it up and you're making the person who offended you pay the price over and over again. The reality is that to forgive means someone still has to pay the price for that. But when you say, I forgive you, when you cover the offense, you're taking that on yourself. In essence, what you're saying is, I'm going to pay the price for that. I'm going to absorb the blow. I'm not going to bring it up against you any though, anymore, though I may still think about it. It may still hurt me, but I'm not going to remind you of that hurt. Now you're bearing the weight. You're bearing the cost of it. I don't want us to go any further in this matter of forgiveness without us fully recognizing and understanding that the price still has to be paid, and when you forgive, you pay it. Don't miss the point. If someone lies to me, trust is broken. If I forgive the offense, then I bear the weight of that. I'm not holding the offense against a person. I'm not bringing it up with them. I'm not calling them a liar. I'm not telling them I don't trust them anymore. I'm not bringing any of that up. I treat them as if the offense never happened. But I have to bear the weight of it. I have to go through the doubts of whether or not they're telling me the truth this time. I bear the pain of that. That's what it means to pay the price. Now, you can't help but think about that. You can't help but think about covering an offense. You can't think about the relationships that we have with one another and, and the forgiveness we offer and how we pay the price for that without thinking about Jesus. I hope you were thinking about Jesus the whole time I was talking about that. Because that's exactly what he did for us, right? He, he bore our penalty. He, he paid the price for our sins. He, he took our sins upon himself. He allowed himself to die, paying the ultimate price for that, giving his own life, shedding his blood for us. And he has chosen, by doing that, to not bring our sins back up against us. Now, that's amazing to me. Is it not to you, loved ones? The followers of Christ, are we not like, does that not charge us up inside? That Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin. We offended him. We rebelled against him. We sinned against his holy word. He forgave it all. He doesn't bring it up against us anymore. He's bearing the weight and the cost of that. It's surrender. And so we have Jesus as this amazing example of forgiveness. And as the followers of Christ and the recipients of the forgiveness that he's given to us, we've got all this grace pouring out towards us. We're supposed to be conduits of that grace back out. We're supposed to look at his example and do the exact same thing for one another. 
As I have loved you, he said, so you should love one another. As he forgave, we should forgive. And so is that the pattern that's actually operating in your lives? Are you showing a pattern, a Christ-like pattern of forgiving one another whenever any offenses come your way? The cross serves as the measure by which we must forgive. Now jot down this reference, Colossians 3.13. Paul's writing here, a number of instructions to the church, but he says in Colossians 3.13, if one has a complaint against another, we should be forgiving one another. That's what he writes. If you have a complaint against each other, forgive. It's pretty cut and dried. Then he sets this up as the example. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. I mean, I'm struck by the word must. So you must forgive. Not you have the option to forgive, not you should, I, not I hope you do, not this is a really good idea, not it's not best practice. Must. If we've been recipients of the grace of God and the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have an obligation under command of Scripture. And we should have welling up within us anyways the Holy Spirit motivation to forgive any offense that comes our way. Must forgive. The objection to all of this, of course, are those people that are in situations where the offense keeps happening. Let's call that marriage. My wife keeps doing this thing over and over again. My husband, he's always and back and forth and you're in such close proximity in this relationship. You've been together for so long and it's so intimate and close that you notice all the hard edges of the relationship, all the prickly points and everything that causes tension in the home. It's obvious. And so... We're asked here by Christ to forgive and can we really forgive that habitual thing that keeps happening that hurts me so much that never seems to be coming to a point of resolution, never getting over it. That's a pretty significant objection, don't you think? Then I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the clarity of Scripture on this matter of I must forgive. And so how do I handle that? I, I don't want to be just ignoring and I, I don't want to be kind of facilitating their sin by just allowing it to continue to happen. And for certain, as followers of Christ, we need to be helping one another to live more fully for Christ. And so there is an opportunity to not just forgive, but to help someone come along. In fact, there may be times when we do have to confront, where we will need counsel, where we will need mediation. It's just knowing when that's all necessary. So I thought it'd be helpful for us to think about it this way. If we could just think about every offense, that we would run it through a series of filters. And then each one of the four filters, one of them is going to catch every offense. And we're going to know exactly how we need to handle that. So four filters. Let me give these to you. The first one is this. Filter one. These are up on the screen. Is this an offense that I can simply let roll off my back and forgive? I'm just going to let it roll off. You've, uh, 
You've heard the expression, water off a duck's back, correct? You've heard this expression, right? A small number of you maybe have grown up on a farm or had access to a farm and you've been around ducks and you know this is true, but I'm a city boy. And uh, so I was sitting there this week going, like, I don't necessarily trust everything I hear. And so um, does water really roll off a duck's back? And in fact, it does because I went to the interweb and it told me that this happens. And uh, here's a little video I found and you're going to enjoy this, I think. This person loves their ducks. Check this out right up here. You're going to see water. It's coming up. Look at that. See that? City boy like me really impressed by that. Water off. <laughs> Wasn't that great? There's more. You can go online and find that. Just search water off a duck's back. <laughs> You'll find the video. Um, but you can see the water just running right off. There's apparently some kind of oil in their feathers that causes that to happen. Obviously, that's pretty handy if you spend a good portion of your life in water. And I feel like we do spend a good portion of our life in conflict. And we could use a healthy dose of this oil on the feathers to just help a lot of the offenses that happen to us. Minor stuff that comes our way regularly, just let it roll off. Just let it roll off. I don't need to do anything with it. I don't need to confront anyone with it. I don't need to go to anybody. I just, I, I just need to let it roll off and I just believe the best about the other person. If I love them, I ought to just believe the best about them. Amen? That's filter one. And I just really believe that we can deal with a lot. We can deal with a lot just by running it through this first filter. In fact, the vast majority of offenses that happen to us during the day, we can just let those things roll off. You know, shoot some video, have some fun with it, and just let it roll off, all right? Here's a second filter. Is this an offense I can simply take to the Lord and forgive? So maybe I can't just let it roll off, and maybe it's just really bugging me, and I just really can't get over it, and this is an opportunity for me to go to the Lord and just pray and take it to Him and say, Lord, can you just really help me with this? Can you give me some strength? Maybe read the Scriptures and get to a place where you're understanding God's heart for the other person, and just take it to Him. And this second filter can catch so much as well. that I, don't, I still don't need to talk to the person. I don't feel like I need to go to them and say, you really offended me, and I can just... Take it to the Lord. Here's a third filter. Is this an offense I must take to the person in order uh, to forgive? And um, maybe I just do need to go to the person and I've, I've tried to let it roll off and I've taken it to the Lord and, and, um, and I'm just not getting over it. And I need to go to the person directly and, and uh, talk to them. And just say, hey, look, I just want to let you know I, I, uh, I don't want to hurt you and I don't want to make a big deal about this, but I just want to let you know that, that what happened, what you said, uh, that just really hurt me. And I, I was just wondering if we could talk about that for a minute and work that out. And um, I think we can solve a lot right here if we would lovingly, speaking the truth in love, if our words are filled with grace and truth, I think we can uh, win over these situations and, and that um, the evil one wouldn't get any kind of a foothold into our lives. 
to make something that's small, something that becomes so big that it's irreconcilable. So that's the third filter. And then finally, this fourth filter. Is this something, having taken uh, to a person and not uh, found resolution, I must pursue further according to Matthew 18. And in that chapter, you'll find some steps, a further series of steps for uh, confronting a person who is uh, not repentant. They're not getting it. You've gone to them personally. They're not getting it. And, and now you need to take someone with you. And what I find interesting about these four filters is, and sometimes we get this exactly backwards, what I find interesting is it's only at the fourth filter that you actually tell anybody else about it. You see, we're so quick to tell other people about the things that hurt us. We're so quick to talk about offenses. We're so quick to go to our friends and and talk uh, to other people about uh, the things that are hurting us, how we feel about our wives, how we feel about our husbands, how our uh, parents really uh, did us wrongly. and, and, And we're so quick to talk to other people about it, but it's only at this point when I've already gone to the person and I haven't found resolution, that I would then go and find a trusted counselor, not just anybody who's going to side with me, but a trusted counselor who's going to come in and play the role of advocate or, or mediator in the midst of that situation. Someone who's actually going to try to advance it and bring it to reconciliation. Not someone I'm just going to talk to who's going to take my side over the issue. And so you run it through these four filters and God's going to be pleased Do it any other way and it's going to result in more heartache and upset. Here's the thing as we talk about this. The family thing to freely forgive one another. This is about me. It is about surrender. I want to give it up. But I realize thirdly that this is uh, very difficult because of our rebellious hearts. But this is exactly why it's needed. We need forgiveness because we have rebellious hearts, hearts that are naturally inclined away from God, naturally inclined towards conflict. Again, we're working kind of word for word through this verse. Whoever covers, notice next, an offense. This word literally means transgression. Carries the idea of rebellion, of breach of trust. No one's exempt from this, as we've already said. We've all offended. We've all been offended. We've all transgressed against each other and been transgressed against. We've broken trust and others have broken our trust. And we need to get over our own self-righteousness with regard to anyone else and realize we're as bad as everyone else. We need to set aside any sense that somehow we're righteous in all of this. We're not. We're rebellious. Got the wrong R word. And it's an acknowledgement that we have rebellious hearts that makes it possible for forgiveness to actually happen. We're never going to get to the place of forgiveness if I don't first acknowledge that I'm a a rebel. That I rebel against God and I look for conflict around me. In fact... I'd love to get to the place where in the midst of conflict, I don't assume automatically that the other person is wrong. But that's what I tend to do. Anytime I get into conflict, the default setting, the place I go automatically is, you're wrong and I am right. I might not say that out loud, but inside I'm saying it. Inside, inside I'm screaming it. 
I default to believing that I'm always in the right position, that in every kind of conflict I might have with Cheryl, that Cheryl's wrong. That if I have some kind of conflict with my kids, my kids are wrong. I couldn't possibly be wrong. I mean, that's what I struggle with. You too? A little bit. The default setting is nobody wants to admit it. What? What's the laughter for? Yeah? Because you think that is my problem? Is that what it is? Or you got it too? You got that same disease? The whole thing? Well, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Let's just close in prayer. That's great. And the only place that, that we can go where we can change this attitude that we have, this rebellious heart that we have inside of us that thinks we're always right and the other person is always wrong, is if we get more and more intimate with the Lord. The more we get to know the Lord, the more we read his word, the more intimate we are with him in prayer, the more you, you, you become aware of who he is, in fact, the more you know about yourself and how ungodlike you really are. And so there's really no substitute for this. You have to be in the word. More than just showing up on Sunday morning and listening to a sermon, more than just even showing up at your small group and hearing it, you know, we're going through it again and finding some application points, but you feeding on his word, you listening to what he's saying to you, you uh, praying to him intimately, pouring yourself out. And the more that you do that, the more that you're going to get a very real sense about how awesome he is and how unawesome you are. And so you're going to have a lot less trouble believing that you're actually a rebel. A lot less trouble believing that you're a person who could offend somebody else. The closer you get to the Lord, the more you'll see how messed up you are and the less inclined you'll be to excuse yourself or to hold back forgiveness. The priority to forgive freely is a priority for us because we know how desperate we are for forgiveness and how gracious God has been to give to us. That's why it's needed. We have rebellious hearts. And so how it happens is through your initiative. This is really something that you need to decide that you're going after. It's to be pursued. We're talking about one who, notice the next word, seeks out forgiveness. Whoever covers an offense seeks. They seek it. That's the active part of what's going on here. We're not sitting back waiting for it, but we're going after it, not passively thinking that things are going to get better when there's no real reason to believe that that's true. Recently, I, and I'm not holding myself up as a great example of this because I have many failures that I could relate to you in this, but the reality is that I'm a guy who's married. I I have three children, and so I have plenty of opportunity for conflict in my own life just on the basis of that. Just as you do if you're married, if you're part of a family, if you're in a workplace, if you have friends, if you're in a small group, lots of potential. I'm, I have all of those things as well. And so there's lots of potential for conflict in my life. But in addition to all of that, um, I, I was called to become a pastor of a church, which means that all of you are part of my family as well, which increases the size of the family. And on top of all of that, I have presumed now to lead this family. And um, that means that I'm a bit of a target for conflict. 
And I will admit freely that I'm very often the author of that in my own life. And it's given me lots of opportunities along the way to kind of see myself in a way that isn't always that attractive for me. And um, lots of opportunities to grow in all of this, but lots of conflict along the way. And um, too often deflecting it, too often believing it's somebody else's problem. And uh, really, it's only in the last few years that the Lord has been pounding me pretty hard over this, and I believe that I'm in a very different place with all of that today. And uh, so recently, I just wanted to, I, all of that as a setup to say this, that recently I've had a coffee with a couple of uh, men uh, who uh, used to come to this church. Their families used to come here years and years ago, one uh, almost uh, eight, nine years ago, and, and, uh, and another one more recently, maybe five or six years ago. And uh, one uh, moved away, one took a different job opportunity, another one moved away to a different city. They both left this church really well, uh, both speak very well of the church and love the church and are concerned for it. It was just an opportunity for me to get together with them again. And, and I was just concerned because I, my memory isn't great, and I, I just asked both of them in the course of conversation, is there anything that happened during their year, your years here that, that you would feel needs to be reconciled? Or have you talked with anybody recently who has been part of our church that you would just feel there was some conflict or they didn't leave well? Is there anybody that you know that, that you would feel like I, I should go and talk to and, and uh, that our elders should meet with and just uh, kind of fix things up? Is there anybody out there who just feels like there's something wrong or sideways that's not been uh, res- resolved? And I just want to be in that place. And in both cases, neither one of them had anything. And, and I, but I just want to be in that place where we're open to that and what the Lord would say to us, that we would be um, taking the initiative even to listen to people and to ask people the question and say, is there anything between us, anything that we need to reconcile? Not being paranoid about it, but just asking the question and making sure that there's nothing hindering any of our relationships. When we live in this way, there's really kind of a crazy thing happens and it is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord starts to show up in our lives. The more that that increases, it's going to be in our families and in our church in a way that's pretty supernatural and, and uh, pretty awe-inspiring. And people will uh, take notice of that. People will see a difference and glorify God. And that's the opportunity, and I want you to remember this, that's the opportunity that exists in every conflict. So we can't look at conflict as being a totally negative, bad, awful thing. We understand that it happens. But God is packing every conflict we go through. He's packing that with opportunity for us to live for him, to grow in him, to learn more about him, and to love someone in Jesus' name in an extraordinary way. And so we have to seize upon those opportunities. We don't want to miss what God is setting up for us in every conflict that comes our way. And so this is really about taking the initiative and being the one who takes action, who moves forward, who asks the question, could you be the one? And again, having said that, I recognize that some of the hurts that are here in this room, some of the people that you have to forgive, they've done some terrible things to you, some deeply hurtful things. And it may be very difficult for you even to think about what it would mean to take the initiative and to go and offer forgiveness. We have to acknowledge that the pain for many of you is very real and that even stepping through this, even contemplating walking through it could be such a burden and a heartache for you. That's why God's given us the church, so that we have one another. 
And it might be as simple today as you making a decision. This may be the whole initiative thing today. To simply to come, to lay it down today, to talk to an elder, to get some counsel, and to begin moving forward, to just take a step. And God gives us the church so that we can take a step together. The thing that you're going through may be so hurtful, so painful, and maybe still very much an open wound in your life that you may need someone to walk through the whole process with you. But I would encourage you, perhaps today would be the day that you would take the first step toward that if you've not already. You have to be the one to take that step. It's only going to happen if you do. All right? That's four. You're doing great. Four down. Are you still with me? It's seven, four, three to go. Okay, you're with me. Great. If we get to seven, we'll have high fives all around, okay? Um, so when we forgive freely, number five, what it shows is genuine love. I mean, that's the thing that we're actually seeking when we forgive. Take a look at the line. Whoever covers an offense seeks what? It's love. We seek a love. And I'm guessing that that's a word because we're talking about families here. It's a word that's thrown about uh, in families from... Uh, the engagement period and right into the wedding day and hopefully that continues on in the years that follow. Hopefully there's lots of love expressed for kids and for parents. Uh, Hopefully there's lots of love, at least verbally, being expressed in your home. But unless you're regularly, freely forgiving one another, love is actually absent from your home. No matter what you say, if you're not covering an offense by forgiving... There actually is no love in your home. You may have an understanding. We've come to a place of understanding. Well, that's pretty sterile for a marriage. We have an understanding. We don't talk about those things. We don't get in each other's way. We don't invade each other's space. I don't ask him about that. He doesn't ask me about this. An understanding? An understanding is not oneness, What Christ wants for your home is oneness. Maybe you say we have a working agreement in our marriage. A working agreement. That's pretty cold. Doesn't speak at all to intimacy. What God wants for your marriage is intimacy. He wants you to have love. Maybe some people would say, well, we we have a lot of tolerance in our home. Nothing says romance like tolerance, right? (laughs) It's so romantic. Just try and find a card with that on it. Happy Valentine's Day. I tolerate you. <laughs> you know? Not I love you. It tolerates you. Well, tolerance is no place, uh, no thing to have in your marriage. You have to have love. Without love, we have nothing to show the world around us. The great thing about marriage and about families and about a church family when it genuinely has this thing rocking is that the world takes notice of it. I mean, if you don't have love in your home, if all you have is a working agreement, if all you have is tolerance for one another, please don't think for a second that your neighbors don't notice that. I mean, Cheryl and I have been, you know, even as you're coming and going, as you're doing what you do around your neighborhood, your your neighbors see things. I've watched my neighbors. I can tell you which ones are good marriages and which ones aren't. I've watched marriages break up on our street. I know who treats each other right and who doesn't, who's just passing by in the night, back and forth. I know. And I don't even know my neighbors that well. 
And if I see that in my neighbors, if they're observant at all, they're seeing it in me and Cheryl. If there's love in my home, they'll see that. If there isn't, they're going to see that too. What are your neighbors seeing? And if it isn't your neighbors, for sure your extended family knows what's going on in your family. You have unsaved people, people who don't know Jesus Christ, and you're claiming to live for him. You're, you've run that flag up your flagpole. It's Jesus Christ. That's what our home is about. But there's no love in your marriage or in your home. Your extended family who don't know the Lord, they see that. Your coworkers see it. This is the whole thing. This is all we have is love. 1 Corinthians 13 makes it so clear that if we say that, that, uh, if, if we, say that we have all these things going in our life, we're married, we have a family, we have all this thing happening, but, but we have not love, uh, Paul says in that chapter, it's just like we're a clanging bell or a crashing cymbal. That's all we are. All we are is noise. We're just noise. When there isn't love. It's sad, right? And so if there's no forgiveness, there's no love. That's the math that we're doing here. Love is the distinguishing characteristic of the followers of Christ. No forgiveness, no love, no impact, no ministry, no glory. It's as simple as that. Number six. Why it's so hard. It's our pride. See, we get in the way of all of this. The contrast is set up, as we said already, in the latter part of this verse. But he who repeats a matter... This is the person who doesn't forgive. They're described as the person who repeats a matter. Now, the reason why this exposes pride in us is because you have to ask the question, why are they repeating the matter? When we interrogate the text, when you start to ask questions of the Bible, this is, this is what you find out. Why are they repeating this? It's for vindication. It's because their pride won't allow them to admit that maybe they have the problem. They want someone to take their side. And so literally to to not forgive means I'm still going around and talking about it to other people. I'm not giving it a rest. We want to repeat the matter. We want the person to pay for what he or she did to us. We want people on our side. We want to create our own little posse. So that we can march around with our posse, letting everyone know that we were right and they were wrong. We want our own little support group. And so we go around and we find as many people as we can to support us. As many people as who will listen to us. We want to gather them over to our team so we can win. And so we dwell on it and we do what we can to get others to dwell on it too. It's instinctive to us. And by that I mean it's part of our sin nature to do it. To be vindicated. To be declared to be right. It's just never a good thing when two or three wives get together and while sitting around sipping coffee they talk about their husbands. Hey listen, if if you're praising him if you're, if you're showing them respect, if you're talking about how awesome your husband is, have at it, ladies. And invite Cheryl. <laughs> Just kidding. Not fair. She's not here. She speaks well of me, I know. You're not getting together to, to, to rip on your husbands. 
Not a single verse in Scripture you can show me where that's even close to permissible. Husbands, we're not getting around uh, with one another to talk about our wives and their failings and why they're not uh, making us the happiest men on the planet. It's not what we should be doing. We forgive these things and we don't repeat a matter. We don't defend ourselves when we feel slighted or injured or mistreated in some way. We have to literally, this is what the text is telling us, stop repeating a matter. Literally, it's telling us, shut up. That's what it's saying, right? Is it not? Are you with me? Shut up. Is what the text is saying. Stop talking about it. Literally, zip it. This is... This is the most helpful thing to me to understand what forgiveness really is. Beyond all the definitions, just to really grasp what does it look like when I've forgiven someone. And we talked about this only a few weeks ago in our last series. And and I I gave you this chart. We're going to look at it again. The upward progress of forgiveness. Some of you missed this and some of you are new. Um, But this is going to be helpful even if you saw it before, I think, to just go through this again. This has been the number one most helpful thing for me to understand what forgiveness is. First of all, this. Upward progress of forgiveness. I'm not bringing it up with you. I've forgiven you. It's over. We don't need to ever talk about it again. I tell people that. When people have come to me and I've said, I forgive you, uh, uh, we're never going to bring it again. I'm never going to talk about it again. I I literally say that. And I think it's important to say that to people. I'm never going to bring this up with you again. Secondly, once I've gotten to that point, I'm not bringing it up with others. I may have articulated forgiveness to the person or maybe I've let it roll off my back, but I'm still going to other people. And, and I've really gotten to a good place of forgiveness. I've taken the second step to really grasping this if I'm not talking to anybody else about it. Uh, thirdly, when, when I still might have to pray to the Lord about it, but then I get to this place where I'm not even praying about it. The Lord's got me to such a great place where I don't even feel like I need to take it to Him. And then finally I get to this really good place of forgiveness where I'm not bringing it up with myself anymore. I, it doesn't even come to mind anymore. When I'm with you, I have so completely forgiven you, so completely covered the sin and the offense that when I'm with you, I don't even think about it. There's literally nothing between us. Now, could we get to that place where we've eradicated all of our pride and all of our need to be vindicated and never repeat a matter again? Is that helpful for you? That chart, does that help you? The upward progress? To get to a place of understanding what forgiveness is really about. Number seven. I don't really need to remind you of all these uh, things. You really know this already in your own family, I'm sure. But what forgiveness overcomes is heartache and division. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter, notice this is the, this is the hard edge of this separates close friends. That word separates literally means to drive a wedge between. Angelo and Angie are right up here at the front as they, as they always are. And um, uh, married, love each other. I can see that in you guys work in our biblical soul care ministry. And so they'll understand this. But a wedge has a thin edge, obviously, and, and, a, and a thick edge. And the thin edge is, we would describe it in this way, some minor little thing that happens between a husband and a wife, just a little thing that gets in between them. 
But the thing about the wedge is this, as you push that in, as it becomes undealt with and it gets pushed in further and further, that it drives them apart, further and further apart. That's the problem with the wedge and that's the idea behind this word separates. That if we don't forgive, if we hold an offense, it drives a wedge between, it separates people who should be intimate with one another, those who would be in close relationships. This phrase, close friends here, it's really one who is always in the company of another. We can think about marriage and family, how we're always in the company of our spouse, always in the company of our family members. The word literally means a guide or a companion or a friend. One use of the word, in fact, refers to cattle. So this word close friends here literally means like cattle in a herd. And the thing about a herd is they're, they're, they're of one kind and they move as one. That's a herd. You could use that to describe your family. The idea of a herd and cattle might describe some families more accurately than others, depending on your family. Um, but the idea of oneness here and moving together, that's what we're trying to get to. We want this close, intimate relationship. But you're not going to have that if you can't forgive. I love so much what James McDonald has said so many times in my hearing, that there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. There are none. No enduring relationships without forgiveness. There's only heartache and division. This is the number one issue. I'll just... I say to you, church, this is the number one issue that your pastors and your elders, your soul care counselors, our small group leaders, is the number one issue that we deal with of all the things that come our way. Family tension, conflict, marriage difficulties. Most of it relating to matters of unforgiveness. And we need to get to a better place with this. We need to hear the word of the Lord on this. It's already causing heartache and division, but when we hold back forgiveness, it actually increases the intensity of the heartache and the division. It doesn't help anything. In fact, a great book by Nancy Lee DeMoss, it's called Choosing Forgiveness. If you want to get this book, it would be very helpful to you. You could just stop by the bookstore and you can order it there. But this is what Nancy Lee DeMoss says. Whatever sin has been committed against you, the choice not to forgive is in itself a serious sin. In fact, failing to forgive can often bring about problems in your life far worse and more long-term than the pain of the original offense. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's to no one's profit that we would hold on to these things, but to everyone's benefit that we would glorify the Lord and forgive. We only exacerbate the injury by our reactions. And so we truly do need a renewed commitment to forgive Freely, amen? We need this. So we're at the end of seven points. Go ahead and high five someone around you right now. I'm serious, give them a high five. Let them know, congratulations, you made it to the end of seven. It's a big deal. And then let's make this pledge. Let's get this up there on the screen. This is the pledge, and after every one of the priorities that we look at, we're making a pledge to live out this priority in our family. If you want to make this a pledge, you just go ahead and read uh, this with me right now. It's our family thing to forgive freely one another. Sorry, I said that wrong, didn't I? I'll let you just go ahead and say it one more time. 
Amen. Now listen, this is the way we want to close. I'm just going to invite you right now. Set aside uh, your Bibles and your notes. And I want you to uh, just go to prayer with me for a moment. But I think it would be so uh, good for us to provide an opportunity for you to respond. And again, several weeks ago when I spoke on forgiveness, at the end of the service, I had people respond by raising their hand just to say, hey, I'm struggling with forgiving somebody. And I get that if you're somewhere on those steps and you're two steps up and one step back and it's a bit of a struggle, but you have at least made the decision to forgive. That's good. But so many people raised their hands and it caused such concern for me that so many of us would not be living as Christ would have us live with regard to forgiveness and grace. But I thought it would be good for us today to provide a more public response to this. And so what I'm really just saying to you is this. Jordan and Aaron are going to play and sing for us. And while they do, I'm going to invite you to come right up here to the front. I'm going to ask you to be transparent about the struggle you're having. I'm going to ask you to be vulnerable about that. And by standing and coming to the front, you're going to be saying, hey, I need to forgive someone and I'm really having a tough time getting there. And as you come and kneel down on the carpet here and just declare by your coming that that's the issue one of our leaders is going to come by and just put a hand on your shoulder and just pray over you we're going to sing about the cross of Christ and his forgiveness for us I don't want you to delay it all I just want you to come and respond and lay it down take the initiative right now don't delay you come as Jordan and Aaron sing I'm forgiven